Hello and welcome to the Monocle Culture Show with me, Robert Bound, where this week we'll take a look at last week's Art Basel, the ultimate art fair's 50th outing, although they'll be celebrating their birthday next year, and you might know a regular stop for the Monocle Cultural Bus too. The form stays the same, but this year Monocle's culture editor, Chiara Rimella, toured the town with notebook and microphone in hand to do the honours. So how might the fair seem to a fresh set of eyes? Well, Art Basel and its satellite fairs and accessory get-togethers stir up that sleepy northern Swiss city for a week in which the boisterous but very appropriately dressed crowd of dealers and advisers all know that this is their best chance in the year to do really big business. Thanks largely to the most important and august collectors in the world pitching up to add to their art holdings. This is, after all, the world's most important art fair, Basel in Basel. No matter the fair's other editions in Miami or Hong Kong, or the much-discussed rise of the boutique art fair quake in their boots compared, this 300-gallery-strong giant rests at the top of the calendar, and doing so is no mean feat. For a good grounding on this year's event, Chiara met Art Basel's global director, Mark Spiegler. Mark, thank you so much for making time for us. So, end of the first day, it's busy everywhere. How do you feel about this year's edition? Is it living up to the constant expectations that you might have? This is a really strong edition of Art Basel in Basel. We started yesterday with the unlimited opening, um, where we had 75 works in a monumental hall. Uh, A really well-balanced edition of Unlimited, uh, the final for Johnny Yetzer, who's worked with us for many years. And that was a great lead-in to today, where people came into the main halls and saw the many sectors contained within them. Um, This is a show which covers the last 12 decades of art history, back to 1900, with really excellent examples of the movements and the major artists of those movements. So in a sense, there's something for everyone who loves contemporary art and even the work that came before it, its foundation, so to speak. The energy is good. There are collectors literally from all over the world. And it's always interesting to watch people who you think know everything discover new things. We have a very strong edition of statements this year, for example, which is uh, 18 booths with very young artists. Again, galleries from as far away as, as Buenos Aires and Beirut. And it's a great way to discover young artists at an early stage. So everybody who refers to our Basel will always refer to it as the most important appointment on the art calendar. Um, what does that do for you in terms of wanting to improve it, evolve it? How is this year's edition new and how do you keep it fresh every year? To some extent, it keeps itself fresh because we're always... The galleries that we're working with are always bringing new works, new pieces, or new consignments of historical works. You know, the, the fair never looks the same. You know, in addition to which, we do projects like the one we're doing on Messe Plots, which in front of the halls with Alexander Perici, the Romanian artist. And, you know, this is a piece which has 63 dancers moving through a space where the audience is also present in a non-choreographed way. You know, this is something which is very contemporary. It's at the intersection of dance, movement, and art. It involves references which are as recent as pop culture of today, you know, back into ancient history. So... You know, this is another example. And then, of course, you know, I think we are, we're always looking and, and asking ourselves whether we, we need to add new things. Ten years ago, we added parkour, which is a sector that brings contemporary art into the most historical neighborhood of Basel, you know, um, one where you have really medieval buildings. And I think that's an example of us looking at what the artists wanted to do and making sure that there was a platform for that. 
Speaking of parkour, let's head out of the fair briefly to see what's on show in town. Parkour is Art Basel's public space exhibition, which uses the city to bring site-specific art to the public. 20 works are placed in and around the area of the Munsterplatz, just across the river from the Messe. However short, the distance eases commercial pressures and encourages a bit more experimentation. Of course, there's painting and sculpture, but also a red-roofed house sinking slowly into muddy waters. Chiara meets the curator, Samuel Leuenberger. The city, uh, the museums, the partners we work with, they have 10 to 12,000 visitors more in this week. There's a cross-insemination happening because you also, of course, get contemporary art lovers going into the Antiquity Museum or the Natural History Museum. So everybody's really interested in having these crossovers happening. And uh, to answer your question, I think, you know, it's just in these times when maybe not right now more and more fairs are come popping up but there was a time until recently when that was the case it's just really refreshing to have something outside the white the white cube or the exhibition of the fair the fair booth and um, i think on top of this i think a lot of galleries start to really realize that presenting one of their artists in the parkour sector is another way of quote-unquote selling the work, presenting it, educating people about it, and it's not just about having this one, you know, this one sec, this your main booth at the fair. It's it's another way you can tell a story, and I think now the last few years this has really grown in popularity. How about how sometimes these huge events can feel overwhelming because of the sheer quantity of the work shown? You know, you mentioned that in recent years there have been a number of new fairs open up. Often these new fairs tend to be smaller, more boutique kind of affairs. Basel is obviously this grandiose, massive affair of a thing. How do you kind of insert yourself in a show that's already so massive that you have to be conscious of the fact that visitors have seen so much already? For me, I see parkour as an a nice break away from the busy times in the fair halls and I think you know you really even though the city is busy and it's filled with all the international uh, visitors once you walk through the streets of Basel in the parkour area it gets very quiet it's people are wandering and you meet a lot of people going from point to point but there's never any location that's overfilled and I think um, I really look at parkour in um, yeah, apart from the fair. I really invite 20 artists and I work myself up from inviting the first, second, up to the 20th. And I have a kind of different pace I can go at. I can also work longer on the selection of the artists because the projects are going to often develop after a site visit happens. So there's a different tempo that I can consciously use to my advantage. And uh, yeah. It sounds like the dream job and possibly like a little bit disconnected from the strictly commercial kind of aspect of the fair that we have kind of right behind us do you feel a little bit freer i feel extremely free yes like i just said before it's the only sector where i can invite an artist i really admire and i can say to the committee members that we're going to develop a project but you know what the work is generally like you can trust us we're going to come up with something well and good and this is this doesn't you know with unlimited and the main fair you have to give very specific layouts to your booth and you you cannot really change your plans because you're also required to be sure to have a certain quality represented or that you're announced and in parkour you can still you know you, you can develop freely so a lot of the projects i mean we show existing works of course as well but, uh, you know, still every year, quite a few artists make new works for parkour by really reacting after their site visit to a certain place. 
So let's talk about this year's edition. How did you approach the curatorial process? Who was the first artist that kind of spearheaded your whole idea? And is there kind of a running theme that kind of went in the back of your mind? Or is that not how you tend to approach your process? It's difficult to give a too fixed uh, theme over it because I think the, the challenge of already finding an artist who can respond to a specific site is very particular. I think if you were just curating a sculpture park, you could say, let's do a work, you know, let's do works that are all based on engines or this or that. But I think in, in, in Basel, it's in the, in the city, it's quite a different thing. It's actually the first year from the four editions that I've done that I've not given it sort of a, let's say, an emotional red thread, which I tend to do. This year, I really tried to reverse it a bit and try to re-examine kind of more the singular sculpture and what it means to have an object that's in the urban context rather than the rural and you know how what do you need to do in order for it to be engaging or responding back to the audiences around it that's not just an image or a picture that's being looked at so for the first time in these four years i've actually have less immersive installations i have less uh, interventions into collections and i have much more what you could actually call a more classical sculpture and object based presentation of works um, obviously, whether you do start off with a red thread or not, there are certain themes that end up kind of recurring. I've seen around here in the halls, for example, a lot of people engage with the idea of nature and how we interact with nature. Have you kind of observed this also out there in the wild? Of course, nature, art and science is right now and tech is sort of the hot topics that, that everybody speaks about. I mean, for me in parkour, what I've really also I tried to... For example, one of the pillars that kind of started off the research for this year's parkour was uh, how can a work communicate and, and what easier way to do so that includes language or sound. So I have quite a few works in parkour this year that either have a audio part or they actually literally have text in the work or it's a performance where somebody dictates or speaks something. And I think this is uh, kind of one of the cornerstones of this year's parkour, and then how can something reach out and uh, have a, give a second layer uh, on, on, the, on the reading of the work. Back inside we go, but how to navigate such a monster of an art fair? Patrizia Sandretto is the woman to answer this, perhaps. A big-time collector and president of the Fondazione Sandretto Rirebadengo, she knows a thing or two about scouring a show of this size to find the best stuff. Chiara finds out what her game plan is and what's going in her shopping basket. Yes, I have to say that, as always, our Basel is special. I started... On Monday with Art Unlimited and as always is a great experience and I have to say that this year I saw some artists that have been rediscovered, artists that I, I didn't know so well. So it's good when you go to a place, to a fair and you can uh, new, know some new artists can do it. So it was very good. And then yesterday, very early, I started with the first floor because obviously I collect contemporary art I much more close to the young artists and so for me it's quite natural to start from, from this floor. And as always, uh, one section that for me is so interesting is the art statement because uh, in this section there are the young gallery, the young artists. And uh, I really enjoy this section this year. I think that is very well done, very interesting. And particularly I'm so happy because uh, a gallery 
from Italy, Spazio A, and an Italian artist, Giulia Cenci, were one of the two winners of the Balois Prize. Or I can talk about Friedman Fitzpatrick, that they present Gilles Moulet, that is an artist from Argentina, very, that lives in LA, that is very, very interesting too. So this is a good, for me, was a good section. Talking about the ground floor, this is like to go in a big museum, so it's really what you can see at this floor, you can see only in Basel, and the quality of the, of the gallery, but also the quality of the work is really high, and not because I'm Italian, but I have to say the Tornabuoni that show Alighiero Boetti, that is for us an important artist, and we can see a different kind of mappa, it's really a museum, small exhibition, but really a great exhibition. At the same time, when you when you pass through this gallery, you understand how paintings are important in this moment. And uh, there are some, particularly some painters, that are very, very interesting, like Albert Hurlen, that is uh, represented in many different galleries, but I have to say that in Max Exler Gallery, I saw very important work uh, of him. So about the buying process. How do you go about it? Do you decide what you're going to buy in advance? Do you make a bit of a plan? Uh, do you know you're going to buy a set of amount of works? And have you bought something already? Yes, obviously uh, it's important to have some idea what you want to buy. What in my case, it's very important to look attention to the young artist. And for that, I try to study a little bit before coming in order to be prepared because time is not so much, so needs uh, to pay attention before or what... Uh, you, you could see, you could buy, and uh, in my in my case, uh, as I say, I like obviously to buy also the fair. But for me, fair often is an occasion also to discover an artist and then to create a relation with this artist and invite him, her in my foundation in Torino commissioning new works and fair can be an important place for that. And what I want to say that uh, we I like to be involved in the commission of new works. Uh, but uh, everything always happened through the galleries. I mean, we talk with the artists. I like the, the possibility to have a dialogue because this is what makes contemporary art so interesting because you can meet artists too and discover work through them. But at the same time, it's for me it's so important to have always the gallery close to me during the process when we decided then to commission. So for me, Art Basel is an occasion to buy, yes, for example, I bought some young artists like Giulia Cenci in, in her statement, but at the same time, it's really an occasion to discover and to create new relations and to commission new work and to work in this direction. So it's not only buy, but it's much more because it's a place in which many projects start. So you know what the buyers are after, but how did the critics find it? At the end of their visit, Chiara meets up with Jane Morris, editor-at-large for the art newspaper, to see if this has been a vintage year for Art Basel. We've had a couple of days to walk around the fair, and at first it's always a very overwhelming experience, but then after a couple of days, a series of dots kind of start joining. And with those dots... What picture do you see being painted? And I use the word painted specifically because I think both of us have seen quite a lot of painting over the last couple of days. 
Yes, it never ceases to amaze me that back in the 90s we were all discussing whether or not painting was dead. And I think that Ralph Rugoff, who's the current director of the Venice Biennale, talked about this. And he talked about the amazing zombie-like ability of painting to rise from the dead and reinvent itself. Well, if you're coming around Art Basel, you would never think there'd be you know, any problem with painting whatsoever. The place is awash with it. Now... Anyone who goes to art fairs regularly would say, so what? You're obviously going to see a lot of painting at any art fair, and that is true. But this fair is marked by a noticeable lack of... Yes, there's some sculpture, there's a few standout pieces, which I think we'll probably talk about later. But, you know, there's very little VR, there's very little video, there's very little photography. There really isn't that much sculpture either. Most of what there is is kind of modest and, you know, table-sized or small room-sized. It's certainly not the days of the kind of pumped-up, super-sized sculpture that we used to see. Now, of course, we see that in Art Unlimited, which is the special section for large-scale work. But in the main fair... It's painting wall to wall. And with respect to what that could tell us about the market, obviously the, the kind of the easy assumption would be to say that's easy to sell, that's easy to place in a flat. Do you think that that's what's going on? Do you think that's strategic thinking from the commercial galleries thinking perhaps the market's not really going as fast as it used to do? I'd better bring something that will definitely sell. Absolutely. I think it's a clear sign that, the, that galleries are feeling jittery painting is always the easiest thing to sell it's the easiest thing for collectors to live with if I were in a position to collect it would be the thing I'd be buying first too I think though we also need to be careful when we say the art market we all say that as a shorthand but there isn't really a single art market there are lots of smaller specialist art markets if you look at the very top now for people who don't know the fair it's divided into two main sections Downstairs in Hall 2, Hall 2.0, is the modern contemporary blue chip secondary market section of the fair. That's where the most high-priced works will be found, also the oldest works will be found. And then upstairs is much more primary contemporary, which means it's straight from the artist's studio and the galleries represent the artists that they're selling. There is some secondary market work there, but in general, it's primary. There is quite a difference between what's going on downstairs where you have the mega galleries and that's the Gagosians, the Hauser and Wirths, the Davids Werners and Pace. That, and say, maybe 10 or so of the world's most successful galleries grouped in a central area. So they're selling works up to the 20 million euro mark, we believe. And there could even be something more expensive there, but we think that's probably around the top mark. And their experience is going to be very, very different. You know, they're selling works by the likes of Georg Baselitz, Gerhard Richter, you know, works worth several million pounds by very, very established artists. Upstairs, where the work is often much cheaper, the artists much less well known, that's going to be a tougher sell for everybody. Let's talk about also the kinds of work that have become increasingly popular. There is much talk about the kind of rise in interest in Afro-American artists, for example. Is this something that you've also spotted along the fair? And what does that tell us about how galleries that perhaps didn't necessarily specialize in that kind of pool of artists and how they will move in the future? So we should give a bit of context to this. Museums and leading collectors have become increasingly aware that the canon as we knew it was largely dominated by white western men 
And I would say there's been a process of diversification of collections. You know, we see it at the Tate, we see it at the Museum of Modern Art, we see it at the Pompidou. So there's been an ongoing process over the last, let's say, five to ten years of museums starting to seriously diversify their collections. And we're seeing something similar happening amongst private collectors. Again, I think there's two different things going on. There are artists who are neglected and whose work we're now seeing being re-shown and represented. So here, a classic example would be Frank Bowling, who's a, a British, black British artist. He's got a show on at the Tate at the moment. He's showing here with Hale's Gallery, a single artist presentation. And then you also see African-American artists like Stanley Whitney, who's being shown with Listen again. Frank Bowling is in his 80s. Stanley Whitney is an African-American artist who, again, really started, I think, was making a lot of his work in the 60s and 70s, but it's only now that we're starting to see his work being shown at places like Art Basel. So there are people who you could say have been neglected or forgotten. Equally, of course, galleries are seeking to represent increasingly diverse groups of artists, obviously women, obviously African-American, black British artists, African diaspora artists, but also artists from much wider sort of geographic areas. So, you know, we're seeing many more artists from India and Brazil, Latin America, you know, Asia Pacific and so on. So that process amongst contemporary artists, again, has been happening for the last sort of five to ten years. It is very noticeable here, though. I think there's a large amount of work by African or African diaspora artists and there's a lot of artists who are dealing with issues of gender, race, sexuality and the like, more than I've seen in the past. Obviously there is work that deals with sexuality and gender in ways that are nuanced and interesting but then there's also been work that has caused backlash in this respect as well. Yeah, I mean, I think this is an interesting uh, discussion because, you know, I think when we thought about Venice, you know, Ralph Rogoff, the director there, was very keen to find art that he felt was, you know, very nuanced, very sort of shades of grey. But there have always been artists who take a different approach and feel that attack is the best form of defense if you like or you know or they feel the need to be radical outspoken and I think probably the piece that has caused the most discussion here at Art Basel is the piece by Andrea Bowers in Art Unlimited it's two enormous walls both sides are covered with great big red banners and there's office chairs around so you can sit and read the banners And basically, each banner has a photograph of a well-known journalist, politician, celebrity, actor, all kinds of people. Photograph of the man in question, their name. It gives their, the person, you know, the man's defence against allegations of sexual harassment. And then underneath, there's an explanation of, you know, the, the case for, if you like. And it's caused a complete stir. I mean, it includes art world people in it. It's caused a complete stir because it's very powerful, I did read it myself and think, gosh, I wonder if she got that legaled. <laughs> Because some of those, sometimes the contradiction between w what the, uh, the man in question is saying and the facts as presented are really quite stark. That, that's inevitably caused some debate. It's a very strong, very polemical piece that I'm sure some of the men in question feel that they've been unfairly treated. I'm sure there are some people reading it who feel that there's probably more sides to the story than in question. Nonetheless, it's absolutely captured the Me Too moment. And as I say, we, we haven't been immune to this in, in the art world, unsurprisingly. 
you know, these things happen wherever there are great power imbalances. And the art world is somewhere where there is great power imbalances. You know, there's a big gulf between the wealth of collectors and the rest of people who work in the field. There's a big gulf between young emerging artists, young curators, and, you know, very big gallerists and very big museum directors at the top of their profession. So that's been a real talking point, that work. So what about what stood out for you? Is there something that really captured your attention? I actually love painting. So for me, an exhibition that's full of painting, I'm always going to enjoy it. And indeed, I have. A couple of things struck me on the painting front. I mean, there is a very wide variety of work here. But a couple of things that struck me that I thought was quite interesting. One is quite traditional forms like portraiture and landscape are clearly coming back into fashion. I mean, there's, there's a beautiful, tiny little painting by Lucas Aruda, a little landscape painting on Mendes Wood. Gallery Peter Kilchman has got three really tiny landscapes by Francis Elise. And I think it's interesting that they're all small as well. And I wasn't a huge fan of the Cathy Wilkes presentation at the Venice Biennale in the British Pavilion. But here at Modern Institute, she has again a series of these small landscapes that remind me they're almost like Turner. And I thought how charming it was to see a very traditional art form reappear. And these are some of the most fashionable galleries you know, in the world at the moment. So I thought that was very interesting. Portraiture has also been an enormously obvious theme. And again, I remember when there was great discussion amongst art schools and galleries about you know, whether there was even a point to something like the National Portrait Gallery and maybe it was time to like ditch it. Well, again, there's a fantastic Marwan portrait at Sphere Semler. There's some very, quite a lot of new people, quite a lot of young new people, sometimes from China, again, you know, all over the world, doing these kind of quite unusual, maybe a little bit, I'd almost say folksy or weird portraits. You know, they're not, it's not about brilliant technique. It's more about this kind of strange use of spatial logic and, again, things that reference outsider art or other kind of non-art art forms so I thought that was very interesting and finally one thing again I would say that is another thing that we haven't seen for a while the place is a riot upstairs of pattern and decoration I don't know if you noticed that but people are using brilliant colors geometric patterns things that reference carpets or are actually carpet and this struck me because there's a big show just about to open or i think it might have just opened at the ica in boston which is called less is a bore which is really all about the resurgence of pattern in the art world now it is clearly a reaction to a certain kind of white western masculine modernity but um, it's interesting to see so many different artists and galleries you know refinding their love of the beautiful the pretty the attractive the frilly you know it, it that's been one of the things that's kind of made me smile when i've been going around that brings us to the end of today's show thanks to our roving reporter monocle's culture editor kiara rimella and to this program's producer holly fisher and thanks and welcome back to kieran banerji of course uh, we'll be back at the same time next week when we'll be looking at the summer's music documentary riches with a focus on martin scorsese's film of bob dylan's rolling thunder review but until then i've been robert bound we'll see you next time thanks very much for tuning in Thank you.